Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, the man in charge of the vaccine rollout has confirmed Canada will receive zero doses of the COVID-19 vaccine next week. We'll get all the details on that. By the way, COVID-19 vaccinations may be going into the arms of Canadians, but with a slower rollout. And people are starting to lose hope. We'll talk with Daryl Bricker from Ipsos. And a majority of Canadians and Americans think social media sites should ban users who are inciting violence or promoting hatred. We'll get all the details on that poll as well. So coming up, the Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We want to talk about what's going on on this side of the border, uh, specifically with the, the vaccine rollout program. There was some bad news that was confirmed yesterday on the program, essentially uh, that, uh, well, we're not going to get the vaccines that we thought we were going to get by the end of this month, uh, and that's somewhat problematic. And, uh, well, we've had different reactions in different parts of the country. Uh, the government says that shipments are expected to get back to normal levels sometime in late February or early March, maybe. But uh, Ontario Premier Doug Ford says, well, that's not fast enough. We got to be on these guys like a blanket. I'd be outside that guy's house. Every time he moved, I'd be saying, where's our vaccines? Other people are getting them. The European Union's getting them. Why not Canada? That's my question to Pfizer. Well, hopefully they're going to get an answer to that uh, sooner than later. Uh, joining us to uh, give us some perspective on this is Mike Lucatour, of course, parliamentary correspondent in Ottawa uh, for Global News. Mike, thanks so much for the time on a very busy day. Glad you could join us today. Thanks for having me. Mike, we kind of got an inkling about this earlier in the week that there was going to be a problem with the supply. Uh, and, of course, it was confirmed yesterday, and the Prime Minister talked about this with his daily briefing as well. What's what's the reaction around the capital about this? Well, obviously disappointment. I mean, I think you saw it yesterday in Procurement Minister Anita Anand's face and in her voice where she talked about how she was on the phone all weekend with representatives from Pfizer trying to make sure that this wouldn't happen, trying to ensure that we would be getting doses, at least some doses. I don't think anybody thought that the number we would be getting for the week of January 25th would be a big fat zero. Uh, but that's what it is, and that's what Major General Danny Fortin, the man who's in charge of the vaccine rollout for Canada, said, um, that it, it's just not going to happen. And this is because of the upgrades that are taking place at that Pfizer plant in Belgium, uh, where they basically have to shut down production for a little bit in order to scale it up uh, for the long term. The difficulty here is it really sort of throws a wrench in any of the vaccination plans for any of the provinces. So we had seen, you know, Toronto had the convention center all set up, ready to go. uh, But that will obviously, um, you know, not really be happening in the next couple of weeks, because if there's a limited supply, well, then they can't exactly start, uh, you know, put needles in people's arms on a consistent basis. The other thing that is interesting that I think uh, people will want to know is that um, Major General Fortin said it's going to affect provinces and territories in, in an asymmetrical manner. And what he means by that is um, the doses come in trays, and, and, and I'm not exactly sure, I haven't seen them, obviously, but uh, myself, but uh, essentially they come in sets. So if we're only getting a certain number of sets, because we, we do understand that this week we're getting 82% uh, of the vaccine doses that we expected, um, then the redistribution, it's distributed to the different provinces and territories on a per capita basis. Uh, it's not like you can split up a half dose, right? So um, that means that certain provinces will actually get l- even less than they expected, um, and, and that is further complicating things. The good news in all of this, because we are trying to find a silver lining, is um, that Canada says uh, they are still on track to get the 4 million doses of the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine by the end of March. Uh, That means that the back end of this quarter, there will be a massive ramp up, not only in delivery, but of course inoculations uh, of the vaccine, and it could tax the system a bit more in that way. Um, But you know, Prime Minister Trudeau said, look, it's disappointing, um, but this is something that we have to expect uh, when you're looking for such a valuable commodity such as this. Pfizer obviously didn't anticipate that they would have these production delays, um, so they're trying to remedy them now at the, you know, the early part of the delivery time. Uh, but still, it's disappointing to see that Canada's getting zero next week. 
a couple of things about that, Mike. Uh, I want to talk, obviously, about the medical ramifications because that's first and foremost what we're all concerned about here, about how, you know, where they're going to get this. But let's face it, and as you reported last night on, on Global National, there's a political uh, angle to this as well. Uh, and, and the government, I, I guess, is, is trying to do some damage control in a situation. I guess it was last weekend on, on the West Block. Uh, Dominic LeBlanc was on there with Mercedes Stevenson and said, look, you know, this stuff about the provinces, you know, complaining about this, nobody's running out of vaccine. We're going to get these supplies. Everything's going to be fine. Just, you know, chilled out. Let's just dial it all down. Well, that's not going to happen. Uh, now, it seems as if what Premier Kenny and Premier Ford and others were saying last week, Mike, has come to fruition that, hey, we are running out right now, and uh, the government's going to wear this one way or another. I mean, they are, um, and especially when you consider that there are reports of other European countries that are able to, that are able to mitigate some of the damage. In other words, um, they are experiencing delays, but to, not to the extent that Canada is. So what is Canada doing? And that's why, you know, we asked him yesterday, uh, my question to the Prime Minister yesterday was, we are hearing, um, you know, the heads of governments from other countries are calling the president of Pfizer directly. You know, what are you doing to make sure that you uh, are, I don't, not to say getting in the face, but to coin a term from uh, Premier Ford yesterday, you know, on them like a blanket, what are you doing to make sure uh, that you're doing that for Canada? And he said he's involved in, in the discussions. Um, it's mainly Minister Anand who's the point person on this. Um, but when you talk, uh, you know, about Canada wearing it, yeah, it's true. Uh, I mean, the Prime Minister was also asked about it by another reporter, and he said, look, I was on the phone yesterday with the German Chancellor Angela Merkel, who said that she is, you know, getting... Um, you know, getting a lot of flack in the media in Germany for not having a vaccination rate as good as Canada. So all leaders are being, uh, you know, having their feet put to the fire and asking, what more can you do? The question is, though, can Canada do more or do we just have to sit back passively? To the point of Dominic LeBlanc, though, I, I, and I'm not trying to sound... Uh, like I'm taking the side of the government, not my job and not what I would want to do anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but there has been a political play here and a blame game because um, the supply is coming from the Fed. The provinces who have been booking appointments and trying to book as many appointments as possible um, may have been overbooking, which is you know something that we're hearing from the federal government. Uh, maybe not to say on purpose, but you know, saying we should have this many doses, let's go ahead and, and, and book all these appointments, um, and then, you know, overbooking, uh, according to the feds, and now it looks like they don't have enough doses. Uh, Major General Danny Fortin, who is supposed to be communicating with the, the provinces on how many um, doses they're supposed to be getting on, on you know, whatever schedule it is, uh, he has said, look, the provinces know what they're getting, they shouldn't be saying they look like they're running out. Maybe it's a perceived running out of, in other words, that if they're so good at vaccinating so many people and that then they don't have any more doses, uh, you know, they've, able, they've been able to, let's say, get through them quicker than they thought uh, is, is possibly what's happening. Either way, um, I, I think we can all take a step back and say this is not happening as quickly as everybody would want, because I think every Canadian in the country wants that vaccine yesterday. And your point's well taken. I mean, you know, the criticism that we've heard from the opposition parties about this is, is is really along the lines of what they've been saying since day one. I mean, the government's been criticized by Mr. O'Toole and, and, and Jagmeet Singh and others uh, about, well, spending too much time negotiating with China as opposed to, you know, doing the Pfizer thing. And, and that put us behind schedule. And, and that was that, there's a theme to this, isn't there, Mike? And, uh, and it's interesting to see that, well, this is just one more thing and piling onto the government on this. But it's interesting always, as you reported last night, to put this in perspective. As you mentioned, Germany's having the same problem. Angela Merkel talked about this. Uh, Dr. Fauci was uh, talking to the Canadian media over the weekend, and he suggested that he says, you know what, we're all on the same boat here. He says, we're probably all on the same timeline as Canada. It's just that we have more people. It's, he says it's going to be late summer before most people get this. And he says, that's what we've been saying all along. It's other people that have been trying to accelerate this process, and we just can't do it. Yeah, and I think, you know, just as I said, everybody is seeing the light at the end of the tunnel and not realizing that this tunnel is still, you know, 10 kilometers long. We all want to be at the end of it. We really do. And and, and I think governments, um, every government across the country and, you know, across the world is trying to get this valuable dose um, as quickly as possible. Uh, and and I, I don't think, 
you know, I kind of make this joke at the office sometimes when somebody asks me, um, hey, uh, are you working on that thing? Because uh, we, we need it pretty soon. And I always make the joke. I say, you know, yeah, I'll just put down this pina colada that I've been sipping um, and, and, you know, and get up from, from my sofa. Like, I, I think Canadians also need to sit back and go, it's not like there's, there's it's not for lack of trying. Um, I, I think everybody is trying to do this. And even, you know, Premier Ford, who started out his relationship with, with the Trudeau government, uh, not on the best of terms, mm-hmm. he has been, um, you know, really trying to make it a Team Canada thing and saying, look, um, I think he's been praising the Prime Minister, praising the Deputy Prime Minister, Christian Freeland, saying, I know they're doing everything they can. And yes, he's prodding the Prime Minister as well, saying maybe, hey, well, you know, get in their face a bit more there. It's a little easy for Premier Ford uh, to say that because he's not the one on the front lines. And, hey, maybe he would be picking up the phone and, and bugging Pfizer every single day. Um, and I don't know that Anita Anand is not doing that. Um, she said she was talking to them on the weekend. This is something that I think that while everybody wants this yesterday and opposition parties are doing opposition party things, they criticize the government. The question always comes back to, would you have been doing a better job in their position? I don't know. Uh, uh, to your point, you know, Dr. Fauci, Angela Merkel, all everybody seems to be looking for the same thing. They all want to get the doses, uh, and, and it's difficult for Pfizer to keep up. I think, you know, Canada continues to say this is why we've tried to negotiate and had a, a portfolio, um, a, a bigger portfolio and, and more doses per capita um, of any vaccine, you know, of any leading country in the world. Uh, it's nice to say that, that they've been able to negotiate that. The, the fact is, in Canada, only two vaccines have been approved, uh, Pfizer-BioNTech and uh, Moderna, and we're not getting them fast enough yet. And it's great to say that we'll have enough by September 2021, um, but they have to really grapple with the fact that all Canadians, as I say, you know, wanted it yesterday, want it today, or want it tomorrow in their arms. Um, and Canadians have to be patient about this. And there's a lot of politics. Like I say, opposition parties oppose. I mean, that's that's their job. That's that's their raison d'etre. We get that. And and I, I got the sense anyway that uh, some of the, the Premier Ford's comments uh, uh, directed to the Prime Minister might have been kind of a reaction to the fact that the Prime Minister himself made some comments about uh, the Premier's handling of the long-term care problem here in Ontario. And I think it was kind of a swat back at that. But that's that's politics as well. Mike, did you get any sense, though, with the, the folks you were talking to in Ottawa yesterday about the timelines? In other words, people that have already had the first... Uh, vaccination uh can they still expect to get the second one with these doses that are coming out i know we've already extended the deadline i mean back in the early days i guess in december they said it was going to be after 28 days they've almost doubled that time right now because of of the uh, the scarcity of the vaccine worldwide not just here in canada uh but the doctors are telling us that's still okay we're going to be okay with that but nobody's going to be told don't come here anymore are they if they're expecting a second dose yeah, and, and I think, um, you know, to that end, uh, you know, General Rick Hillier, who's in charge of it here in Ontario, um, you know, was talking about that timeline yesterday and, and thinking that they, they still can, you know, meet those timelines. And, and they also have to adjust how they are going to be administering now, right, obviously, in, in, in Ontario's rollout. Um, so I think that every jurisdiction has been um, extremely careful in making sure um, that once the, when they're looking down the road at the supply that's coming, when they administer that first vaccination, that they know that the second one is coming or that they have the second one on reserve. Um, and I know different provinces have been managing that in different ways, um, but it sounds like Ontario is, is you know, well-positioned. Uh, but it will be interesting to see if there is that domino effect going forward, if uh, we'll see sort of a cascading effect um, uh, going. But it doesn't sound like anybody who has either had the first vaccination should be worried about getting the second uh, or if you're you know if you are scheduled for a, a first vaccination in, in you know in the week of the 25th uh, sounds like you won't be getting it but uh, you know you're definitely on the list shortly thereafter yeah we'll call you don't call us that sort of thing i suppose uh i guess i guess what this reminds you and i get the sense as i was watching your reporting on global national last night too mike 
this is really made another reminder that what we're supposed to be doing here is listening to the medical experts, not the politicians, about what's going on. Because as I say, when you listen to the reaction from Dr. Tam and some of the other folks on that side of the, of the ledger, they're saying, look, this is disappointing, but it's not catastrophic. I mean, we, we can handle this. The same thing as Dr. Fauci said, the same thing as they're saying in the World Health Organization as well. So I, maybe we do need to dial it back a little bit and just say, okay, let's, let's wait a few weeks and see what's going on here. Yeah, it really is interesting because we sort of, um, it's funny, as people in the media, not that you criticize some of the medical experts, but medical experts sometimes, uh, you know, don't have their delivery that is kind of monotone sometimes. I mean, Dr. Tam's a great communicator, um, but she really just deals in facts, right? Same thing with Dr. New. And and sometimes that can be difficult for people because it, it, they're not either making that connection or we're listening more to, you know, Premier Ford because he can sometimes, you know, go off the handle a little bit uh, and, <laughs> and make headlines that way. But, you know, when you do sit back and listen to what Dr. Tam is saying is that, look, if anything, this teaches us that vaccine rollouts, um, you know, are, are difficult and that we have to expect delays. And, and maybe, you know, this is a really good opportunity for all of us to step back one more time and say, we are still less than a year into this. Yes, it's been over a year since we discovered COVID-19 in China, um, and it started coming to our shores, you know, shortly thereafter. But let's not forget that the first big lockdown, when, when it really all hit Canadians, was around the March break um, Mm-hmm. weekend and that was uh, around march 15th uh, 13th to 15th around there uh everything seems like it was a decade ago so i don't remember exact dates but anyways um this is all less than a year and this has happened like a vaccine rollout a vaccine uh development takes years we've done this in months and i say we as a world as a population mm-hmm. um so as much as everybody wants to sit back and criticize and everybody wants to um, get, you know, all upset about this, I, I think people need to understand that this is going as quickly as it can. It's actually going really, really quickly. Um, if, if you would have told me, uh, you know, last year at this time, we're going to have a global pandemic that is going to send everybody um, to work at home to mean that you cannot be uh, closer than, uh, you know, six feet apart from strangers and others. The, the art of the handshake is essentially going to die for a full calendar year. Um, but organizations, uh, companies, and governments are all going to ima- somehow get together and come up with a vaccine within less than a year to try and eradicate this thing. I, I think a lot of people would have said, that's crazy. Um, and, and this is the, the type of thing that I've, I've, you know, sat back and done a lot of reporting on, you know, the government and the programs that they've come up with and how difficult they have been to roll out. And, you know, same thing with vaccine rollouts. And, and I think we all need to take a step back and realize that, yeah, we're, we're all itching to get out there. We're all itching for life to get back to normal. But it hasn't even been a full year yet. Exactly. And I think we all need to give ourselves a break and give each other a break and go, you know what? We're almost there. If September is the end date when we can, you know, go back to seeing hockey games, we can get back in CFL football stadiums and we can all hug each other again. Well, I think September is a pretty nice thing to look at. And the reason I'm saying this, Bill, is because there's tons of negativity around us. Uh, you know, maybe today uh, in Washington, there's, 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 there's a new sense of hope and there's a new sense of hope around the world and i think we need to sort of embrace that in these difficult times yeah we're we're, we're tough people in canada we can get through the dark winters this was just you know blue monday as they call it mm-hmm. that uh, that monday in january um I, I think that everybody needs to at some point take a step back and go you know what we're gonna get there and 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 when you hear dr tam sort of say expect delays, but we're still on track. Um, you, you know, everybody needs that dose of reality to look exactly. at it and say, it's not going to be that bad. Mike, uh, great reporting on this. We'll watch for your updates, of course, on Global National. And I'm glad you brought up the CFL. We've got the Great Cup in Hamilton this year, and I want to I be there. Uh, thanks so much for this. Great talking with you, Mike. 
Same here. Talk to you soon. Mike LeCouture, of course, parliamentary correspondent in Ottawa for Global News. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. There is an indication right now that Canadians are getting a little frustrated and maybe not as optimistic as they were at one time about what's going on with the way the government is handling things and the, the vaccine rollout especially. Joining us to talk about all this is Daryl Brooker, the CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs, who have uh, been talking to you and me as, as Canadians and trying to get the read on what's going on. Uh, Daryl, thanks so much for the time. Good to have you with us today. Thanks for having me on, Bill. Uh, great uh, op-ed piece, by the way, that you put on here on the global webpage about this. And uh, it's, uh, it's not as if we're getting depressed about were too high. I'm not quite sure what was going on, but you've seen a little bit of dip in the optimistic levels. Yeah, uh, and particularly related to how long it's going to take us to get out of this situation that we're in. So over the space of the last month, uh, the the belief that we'll be out of this by the summer has dropped by about 11 points. So we're now down to about, we're now down to about 47 percent of people thinking that we're going to get out of it by the summer. 67 percent thinking that we're going to get out of it by the end of the year, which is you know, seems pretty good, but, you know, uh, at the end of the day, that's a whole lot of people also thinking we're not going to be able to put this you know, behind us until 2022. And is, is it the mixed messaging, or is it the fact that we're getting revised messages all the time? I, I, you know, when they talked about the vaccine rollout, first of all, we thought, well, we're not even going to get ours until sometime in the new year. We got it in December. Did, did that maybe un, maybe not realistically, you know, it just give us this idea that, hey, we're way ahead of schedule. This is going to go really well. Well, I think it's the ups and the downs. So uh, yeah. back in uh, back in December, uh, when vaccines were announced and we were going to be rolling them out, and you know, you had all of this communication from the, the prime minister's office and also from provincial premiers that you know we had a lot of access to vaccines and it was just a matter of you know logistics and rolling it out. Um, so people were you know patiently waiting, and they also knew, by the way, that uh, uh, that the most vulnerable and the most essential among us needed to to go first. So okay, fine. But then the question starts coming up, which is, when am I going to get a vaccine? And the, the, the thing that's really driving that is people really do believe our, our recovery is contingent on that. So people who are optimistic about us getting out of the situation sooner are optimistic about also having access to vaccines. So the more we get announcements like yesterday that we're you know, not going to get uh, doses that we've been contracted for or we've contracted for with Pfizer for the period of a week or it's going to be slower or whatever, that has a direct impact on whether people think we're going to be able to get out of this recovery. So what's happening right now is people are coming to the realization uh, that this is going to take a lot longer than they were initially thinking, and it's it's bringing down the mood. You touched on something else, and I've watched this with the, the last number of polls you've done on this, uh, Daryl. And pre-vaccine, I'm, I'm going back to, to last fall before we actually knew that we were going to get our hands on this stuff. Uh, I, I sensed in, in talking to our listeners over the, the well, let's face it, the last nine months, uh, a fair bit of skepticism about vaccines. Period. Like I don't know if I want to get one. Uh, I mean, there's always going to be the anti-vac people. I get that, but even the people that thought, well, that'd be great if it happens, but this is too fast. Maybe they're skipping steps, and I, I, I want to see how other people get it uh and and with that mindset or at least that was what i was hearing for months and months and months i was surprised when you started polling about this about the optimism that people were feeling that no 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 i'm going to do this and you know the 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 percentage of people that were saying yeah i'm I'm ready to roll my sleeve up right now was a lot higher than i thought it was going to be yeah 72 percent but you know it's interesting even when we were back in the period that you were describing which lasted till quite late in the year actually there was a lot of skepticism about how long uh, uh, how quickly this had taken place and the potential for side effects and that kind of thing. Uh, but even back then, you know, we were seeing, you know, 20, 25% of the population saying, I'm going to go tomorrow. And even at that number, that was still 7 or 8 million people. So even when people were skeptical, the potential for a stampede was already there. But what's happened over the space of the last month is that people have now seen that vaccines have been rolled out, not just in Canada, but in other parts of the world, and the experience has been positive. And you put that positive experience together with the belief that the only way we're going to get out of this is if most people get vaccinated, and you see where the pressure comes from. We were just heard uh, Mike Couture from Global was on with us uh, in the first segment, and uh, he had talked to the Prime Minister yesterday, of course, uh, during the daily press conference, uh, uh, and the Prime Minister alluded to a conversation he had with Angela Merkel about what was going on in Germany. Uh, we've heard about some of the concerns down in the States, too. Uh, it looks as if a lot of countries are having some problems with distribution and getting it out there as quickly as possible and getting it into arms. Do we even care about that, Daryl, or is it just, hey, I'm concerned about us. I don't care what's going on in Germany or Brazil or anyplace else. What's going on in Canada? 
Well, I think where the other countries start to come into play is, you know, what is the art of the possible? So the government in December has been very, federal government has been very clear uh, in announcing to Canadians that this is going to take the next fall. Now, we may not have heard that. And in fact, the survey evidence suggests that maybe we didn't. But that's quite a long way out. But this, this is an arbitrary date that they picked. The, you know, there was no public consultations. There was no scientific, uh, you know, report that said, you know, the fall is the best time for this. This is when we're going to have most people vaccinated. So they picked that date based on what they knew about the potential flow of vaccines into Canada. But Canadians are, you know, have access to international news, particularly mm-hmm. news from the United States. And, you know, 3 million people vaccinated by April of this year, and that's not even taking into account the uh, um, the, the delays that we're now experiencing with Pfizer, compared to what um, uh, what uh, the new president of the United States is saying about getting a, 100 million people vaccinated within 100 months, within, within 100 days, that's the kinds of comparisons that will have an effect on what Canadians' real expectations will be about when they should be vaccinated. So we're in a very interesting time period that's bringing together a lot of different things like, okay, uh, I'm, I'm okay with essential workers, I'm okay with the vulnerable, but when's my turn? That's going to start happening now. And then we're going to start seeing what the experience is in other countries, and that'll set more of a standard for what our expectations should be. This is going to become a very tempestuous issue, and it's going to become very tempestuous in March and April of this year. Because I heard exactly what you're referring to uh, when, when uh, President-elect Biden uh, started talking about those huge numbers and that very aggressive vaccination program. Uh, the response I was hearing from our listeners is, why can't we do that? Uh, you know, maybe not to those numbers, but, I mean, that's sort of a, a, a big rush. And, and, you know, our government hasn't even talked about that. They're talking about it, for all intents and purposes, a much slower rollout. And, and, and people are just saying, wait a second, we want it yesterday. We're not going to wait until September. Yeah, and that's what the, the push and the pull is going to be in all of this. It's, it's the government's ability to talk to people about being patient as opposed to convincing them to get a vaccine, which until very, very recently, most people thought was going to be the big issue, vaccine hesitancy. And the reason for that is because of, you know, what we're seeing in politics, you know, the dark ends of the, the Internet, those places where, you know, have anti-vaxxers having a big impact. And then you hear similar things coming back in, in polls where people were worried about how fast and what the effect was going to be. What we didn't realize was that a bit of good experience was going to completely change that and move people dramatically to the other side of this. And that's what's happened. So we kind of focused on the wrong thing. I want to touch on something else, too, that you guys covered in the poll, which I thought was very instructive. Uh, and, and it's about our, our comfort level. And maybe that's the wrong phrase with the, vac- the, the, the pandemic itself. Uh, we're getting a little more frustrated, I think, by this. I think there was an expectation when we started getting the vaccine rollout that, you know, this is going to go away this year. You know, we're going to get vaccinated and, and, and COVID's essentially, for all intents and purposes, going to disappear. But as you mentioned, and, and I know you talked about this in the polling, the numbers are going up in just about every province. I, I Again, uh, we're talking now a new strain, and people say, wait, 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 where'd that come from? Uh, it, it, it seems sometimes as if we're fighting a losing battle here, and we're looking for the, the vaccine program to be the panacea here. And we're tired. Yeah, we're really oh, no, tired. no kidding. So other, other polling that we did for Global News, and I know I talked to you about, shows the level that you know, half of Canadians saying that they're really struggling with this from a mental health perspective. You know, uh, Even on a, a poll, you know, over 10% of us, reporting that uh, um, that uh, we're struggling with drugs and alcohol, loneliness, um, you know, what we've just been through over Christmas. People are struggling. They're worn out. And, you know, bad news on, uh, you know, good news on vaccines, followed by the reality of what we're actually facing in terms of vaccination, that whipsaw is, is not imp- going to improve the public mood. And, and it's, you know, it's... I, I... We seem to be spiraling down. I think that's one of the things I'm finding frustrating about this. And, and I think that was reflected in the polling that you got, because all the things that we've talked about here, uh, the mental health issues, we did a segment yesterday. I know you're aware of these statistics, uh, but just to remind our listeners, the Kids Helpline, I think in, in 2019, uh, had like 1.2 million calls. It's over 4 million calls in 2020 as a result of the, well, let's face it, as a result of the pandemic. And that's only the Kids Helpline. Uh, you know, we look at all the other aspects of this, too, with the adult mental health issues and everything. Everything else, uh, we're looking to get a, a, out of this. I think I think Canadians, I think by nature, Daryl, as you've seen over the years, are pretty patient people, but our patience is running out. 
you know, we're patient and trusting. And, and when it came to the economic aspects of uh, of uh, what happened during the course of the pandemic, the, there's a, a lot of support for what governments have been able to do in order to blunt the worst parts of that. But now we're getting into actually dealing with the health aspects of this. And what they're seeing out of their governments is uh, is raising some questions. Uh, and it's not just a federal government issue. It's obviously a provincial government issue. One side's responsible for getting the vaccines. The other side's uh, responsible for distributing it. Uh, and both have been struggling. So there's a lot of there's a lot of anxiety to go around here. A lot of finger pointing is probably going to go on over the next little while. But as I said, watch watch this space because between now and the beginning of April is when a fair amount of this is going to play out. Well, I sense that uh, during the first lockdown, March 15th, just around March break, uh, I've been working from home since then. A lot of other people have too. And we were scared, let's face it, a year ago. Like, we didn't know much about this pandemic. We didn't know much about the virus. And the stories we heard were horrific. And we thought, okay, whatever the government says we need to do, we'll do it. Okay, if we have to shut down, I guess we'll do that. If I have to stay at home, we'll do that. But you're right. We we seem to have changed our attitudes, especially with this second lockdown. And now we're questioning those governments and saying, look at what you're suggesting here, first of all, is, is is frustrating to us, and it's not working because the numbers are not going down the way you said they would. So why are you closing the ski hills in Ontario? Why can't I go to a grocery? And on and on it goes. Now we're starting to question government. Yeah, it's the inconsistency. But I, I should you know say that in the polling, there's still a lot of support for locking things down in order to fight the um, uh, fight the virus. I mean, those numbers really haven't waned. But what what uh, what we're seeing, though, is, you know, important dates are now coming up, just like you mentioned, March the 15th for you. That's when we, we, we move from talking about weeks, talking about months, to talking about a year. Yep. A year of our life being stolen by this thing. And that's when you're going to see all sorts of things happen in the media as it normally happens, but in people's lives where they start coming up and saying, you know, uh, my birthday was in March of last year. I couldn't have a birthday party. This is the second birthday party I'm going to be missing. That's a whole year of my life. There's, there's a symbolic aspect of this that heightens the anxiety and, high, and, and heightens the public mood. So we're going to be going into that period. And that's why I say March, April is really the period of time when a lot of big questions are going to get asked about the performance of governments on these issues and if they're able to pull the iron out of the fire and they're able to get things back on track and they're able to start you know getting the vaccines out into the general population a lot of that will dissipate but if we're still stuck where we are today with you know bumps and and uh, you know stop signs all along the way it's it's going to get difficult so when anybody ever talks about having a federal election in the spring I try to bring these two lines together and say, <laughs> really? It's not just about having an election in a pandemic. It'll be about performance. Yeah. And if we're stuck where we are today, at that point, uh, you know, that would be a very risky proposition for the, for the government. So I know people in Ottawa, because they're all working at home and you know, have cats on their keyboards and they're all getting paid and all the rest <laughs> of it, their life is, oh, you know, we can have an election in this, in this uh, situation. But if you're uh, somebody who's a truck driver living in Milton, and these are the people who are going to decide the next federal election. You have quite a different view. Well, it is. And I think we, I, we're we rationalizing. And, and last year we said, okay, I guess we're just going to write off 2020 uh, because of this pandemic. But next year is going to be better. Uh, you know, we, we're going to be able to go to ball games. We're going to be able to go to movie theaters again. And I, I'll give you an example. An email I got this morning, uh, a friend of mine who's a huge baseball fan, you know, the big news, of course, yesterday is the Blue Jays signed George Springer, big great free agent signing. And he says, am I ever going to get to see the guy play live? I, I, I hope so, but we don't know that, and I mean, so I can understand the frustration now. Yeah, and people are saying, okay, well, how do I get to see, uh, you know, the Blue Jays play again this year? Well, the way I'm going to get to see it is if I have a vaccine, because yeah. they already know that just not going and shutting down things and, you know, requiring people to wear masks is not going to make that, that environment safe enough for the vast majority of Canadians to take the risk of going to a live event, like a, like a baseball game. So they know that the only way that they're going to get there is, is through a vaccine. That's why what we're going through right now is fundamental. It's not just another bump along the way in this whole battle over, over the COVID virus. This is the thing that people are looking for to help us turn the corner. And if this doesn't go well, uh, the consequences are going to be dire for all people who are involved in decision-making. And by the way, I should say, it's not just you know the governments, it's businesses too, like sure, oh, yeah. the pharmaceutical industry or your whoever everybody's going to be on the line for this. So it's a, it's a very, it's like one of those periods, you know, just like spring thaw, the ice is very, very thin and you could crash through it pretty quickly if you don't, uh, if you don't walk correctly. 
are, are we looking for a breakthrough here to, to say that, hey, we're doing all right, we're, we're starting to see this? I mean, we're in the big lockdown here in Ontario, of course, and it's going to be like this until February the 11th. Uh, I, I think there's an anticipation now that we better see a huge drop here. In other words, I'll, from what we're doing here, it better be worth it. We better see some results here. Well, this is really tough for governments because they're used to trying to communicate their way out of things. Yeah, You can't communicate your way out of this. There's no good way to talk about this. And the reason that there's no good way to talk about this is people can do math. As much as we may criticize our educators sometimes, they know when a line's going up and they know when a line's going down. One indicates that things are not going well. The other one things, uh, indicates that uh, things are going well. And those two lines right now are the number of cases that, uh, that are happening on a daily basis in the province of Ontario, since we're talking about that, and the speed of vaccination. And talking about what's happening to other people doesn't matter as much as what's happening to me, my friends, my family, my neighbours. So people are going to know when vaccines are on the right track, when people that they know intimately who aren't in that group of uh, the most vulnerable or the most essential are actually getting vaccinated. We're not there yet. Quick question. I, I, you've done an incredible job, of course, uh, with Ipsos, getting your finger on the pulse of what's going on in our heads. Uh, but you're also a great a political observer as well. And, and I think you and I remarked last year about the, the sense of cooperation, uh, that, which surprised an awful lot of us between the federal and provincial governments. Uh, is that still strong, or are, are we starting to, to see some cracks in that and some finger pointing? Well, if the intensity on this issue goes up and we're not able to find well, if, if it's not able to get back on track, and by that I mean an acceptable track for the public, not for the government, governments, if we're not able to get back on that acceptable track uh, for, uh, for the public, people are going to start looking around to who to blame. <laughs> They're going to be upset. And when, you know, the thing about successes is, you know, that, what's the expression? They have multiple parents. Um, whereas, uh, you know, uh, uh, tragedies or difficulties always become, you know, orphans. Nobody ever wants to own them. But there's going to be a lot of finger-pointing, and it could very much be between uh, or among the governments. And we've already seen initial signs of this where the provincial governments are working, um, they say, as fast as they can to get, um, to, get, to get vaccines out. Because as I said before, all the variables are in their hands. If they wanted to open up a hockey rink tomorrow and have emergency vaccination, they could. The acquisition of um, uh, vaccines is in the hands of the federal government. So the provinces can say, hey, we've run out turn to the federal government and it's and they're sitting there you know with their hands out and there's really really very little that they can say so you can see what the potential is for some of this finger pointing to mm-hmm. to happen and it's and the, the difference in most federal provincial things is people really aren't clear on who's responsible for what in this one it's very clear exactly well another reason why they'd be crazy to call a spring election but that's another poll uh daryl great to have you on the program thanks for all the great work you've done on this really appreciate the time today thanks bill Take care. Daryl Brooker, CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. You can go to their webpage, by the way, and get all the numbers that we've been talking about. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to continue on the theme about uh, the impact that the last, well, I was going to say four years, but specifically I think the last couple of weeks uh, have had on us uh, as citizens and as human beings and, frankly, as users uh, of social media. You know, we've seen, of course, after what happened, uh, well, two weeks ago today with the uh, the mad rush by the, uh, the rioters into the Capitol building in Washington, Donald Trump was booted off Twitter, booted off Facebook. Uh, some other people also were treated in a similar fashion. And and I think it's changed their attitudes about social media and the impact that it's going to have on us and, and how oftentimes I think a lot of us are finally coming to the realization that we got played an awful lot of the time in social media. Yesterday on the program, uh, I talked to, about this with Elizabeth Bra. She's a visiting fellow at the AEI Institute, and she explained how misinformation in media can lead us to situations like what we saw at the Capitol riot. The situation we have now, we can see that news and we can share it, and th- there are no consequences if we share incorrect information. That's how we have arrived at the situation where we are now. But we have not just differing views, we have differing realities, which is why we saw the results at the Capitol on the 6th of January, where these people were convinced that they were right, that Trump had won the election, and we can say, oh, yeah, they were reading disinformation, listening to disinformation. Well, they were sure that they alone had the real truth. So should we change our opinions about social media? I mean, should they be policing ourselves? Should they be making the determination about who can and cannot use that? 
And what about the information or misinformation as it is uh, that we find on there? Uh, do we need to have stricter regulations about that? Well, our, our friends at Leger have done some polling on this. Uh, Dave Schultz, Executive VP of Leger, joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Dave, thanks for the time. Good to have you with us today. No, thank you for being here. And, and that was a very interesting talk yesterday on misinformation. And yeah, it was. It definitely plays into uh, where we're getting to. And you talked about the last four years, but the last two weeks being important. The last four years are interesting because you look at the last U.S. election, and there was talk about how we were being, not we, but Americans were being played by Russian bots uh, influencing the election through the use of social media. So I think there's been a general building over the last four years culminating in the last two weeks uh, with people really starting to, to question the role of social media in our lives. And, and Dave, as I looked at some of the numbers from your recent polling on this, there's a, a, a difference of opinion between Can Canadians and Americans on this. There definitely is. So you talk to Canadians, and uh, we asked if, if they felt or that social media sites uh, should ban users who are inciting violence, promoting hatred, or sharing misinformation. 86% of us Canadians feel that social media sites should have the power to do that. Um, but in the U.S., it's only 66%, so about a 20% difference. But some of that is the Trump factor, because if we looked at uh, Americans who voted for Donald Trump, that number drops down to 38%. And if we look at people who voted for Biden, it increases to 93 so it's a real polarizing factor around Trump being banned right now that's resulting in this U.S. slightly lower result. Plus, Americans always have felt that they need to stand up for free speech more than other countries, potentially. Well, that was one of the debating points. I know that uh, that when Twitter and, and eventually Facebook made the announcement about how they were going to uh, knock Trump off of there, uh, that was the immediate defense by some of the Trump supporters, and I guess by Trump himself, was that, uh, you know, that's uh, that's against my First Amendment rights, uh, the, the right to free speech. Uh, but the defense I heard about that, though, Dave, was rather interesting. They said, look, this is a private company. We can tell anybody. It's it's like, I, you know, if my grocery store around the corner says, Bill, I don't want you coming in here anymore, they can block me. Uh, you know, it's, I don't have a right to do that. It's a privilege, and they can withdraw that privilege any time. But, but those, those, those two principles get clouded, and it becomes a blurred line a lot of the time, doesn't it? It, it does. And, and for the same reason, uh, Instagram doesn't allow people to post naked photos. Um, it's their site, and they have a right to make that determination. Uh, that, but where it gets really, and, and, I, and I think a lot of people understand and agree with those policies that they're private, private companies, where it starts to get a little touchy is when Parler was effectively banned from allowing its voice on uh, Apple and uh, and other platforms that mm -hmm. host it. So I think there is a, the free speech is still there, and people have to find a way to get it out if they want it. But these private companies do have their rights as well. That's an interesting debate, though, because this is not new to social media. I mean, there's always been a debate about free speech, what we are allowed to say or can't say or, or display, I guess, in situations. I mean, whether it's, uh, to use the American example, of course, how many years back in the late 60s during the Vietnam War, the worst days of the Vietnam War, you know, the flag burnings and things of that nature, and, and people were arrested for that until that was tested in the courts. This, is, this has been an ongoing debate, hasn't it? It has been an ongoing debate, and I think it's it's swinging more towards the social media sites having an opportunity because it's really been egregious over the last uh, month, few months, uh, in terms of uh, some of the posts that we've seen come up about the election being a fraud or phony. And I was thinking yesterday, listening to your talk, but if you remember over the holidays, um, a number of people in Canada started to post that... Uh, Justin Trudeau was away on a beach vacation. Mm -hmm. And the more it was posted, the more it almost became news or a common given that he was away, even though he was not away. And I think that's the, the scary part of misinformation is we uh, put a lot of faith and trust in what we read on social media. If you look at what's been happening over the last four years, going back to the disinformation around the, the last uh, uh, election in the U.S., there's been a real push on for social media literacy. And I think there will be an even bigger push now on for social media literacy and social media healthy habits, especially with our youth. We just did a study looking at millennials and Gen Z in Canada, and um, you know we're seeing a tremendous increase in mental health issues, uh, anxiety, depression over time. 
And uh, about half of the youth are attributing some of that to their social media use. Do we have too much faith in social media? And, and, And the reason I'm asking is because there was a mindset, and probably still is in a lot of people's heads uh, these days, Dave, that said, if I see it in print, it must be true. I mean, how else could it get there, right? But it, it, And I don't put too much faith in, the, in that statement anyway, but the, I can understand why some people would feel that way, because in the old days, uh, before social yeah. media came along, uh, if you saw something in the newspaper, you knew that there was there were protocols and, and guidelines in place there, that they could not print false information. Uh, if you had a letter to the editor, you had to sign your name to it, not a pseudonym, uh, and your phone number usually, although they didn't print the phone number, so, so the editorial board could actually have some accountability. Uh, so we figured, okay, that's been vetted to a certain extent. You know, you may agree or disagree with it but if it's there it, there's probably some element of truth to it those 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 parameters are not set up for social media in any way shape or form i mean anybody can post pretty much anything uh, yet we still try to to maintain that same sense of credibility to that we do and if and if i follow you bill and you say something i want to believe it's true because mm-hmm. not because you're uh, a, a media celebrity <laughs> and, a, and a journalist but because uh, I know you and I like you. So there's that aspect of it coming in. But definitely people from, from our generation, we grew up trusting the news we read and saw on TV. Uh, there's a real mistrust of mainstream media starting to slip in right now. It's interesting. I was on a talk last night with uh, some American companies preparing for today's inauguration. And there was a, uh, a comment by a person who runs a, a program, journalism program at a university that they are hearing uh, from some parents or that, from teachers that uh, parents are now saying to their kids, you don't want to go into journalism because it's all lies. And so if we're starting to see less people want to go into journalism, we're going to see an even bigger 10, 20 years down the road of more of this public opinion, social media happening, which is not good for us. But but that mistrust of media, I, I, I again think is part of the. It's a child of of, of the the wild west, of course, on social media. Uh, an awful lot of people that I see, and, and you know, <laughs> spending ten minutes on Twitter can be a very depressing experience for anybody. Uh, is, is is it because you know there, there's a, a a a record here of, of of misinformation from mainstream media, to use that phrase, or is it because certain people on Twitter who have a large following? Have been to- have told their followers don't trust the media, and and again from your previous point though, Dave, uh, you know, hey, I like Donald Trump, I don't, but I mean, you know, for somebody who's yeah, of that that ilk, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, so anything he says must be true. If he says that's fake news, if he says uh, that MSNBC and and the mainstream media and the New York Times are all a bunch of liars, I believe him. Yeah. I, I've never read them and I don't watch them, but he yeah. says they're liars, so I was right not to watch them. And that comes down, and I think that's a big part of why we're seeing the mistrust of mainstream media. Um, but that's not what Twitter and uh, Facebook are banning uh, Trump for. Interestingly, it's more for the incite to violence. Yeah. Um, that that whole piece, misinformation piece, is going to be very tricky over the next little while because even though we included it in our list of uh, in our question, we also included the words violence and promoting hatred. I think this sense of misinformation is people are even less interested in seeing it bad. They think it's bad, but some people like to read that. Um, so it's uh, it's it's really going to be tough for the. I think they're tough for the next little while. I think there's a Trump push right now, and as uh, he fades away, if he fades away, um, things will correct themselves a little bit in the social media world. But for right now, we're still seeing a a, a big push. As, as a look at the polling here, as you mentioned, 86% of Canadians, only 66% of Americans think social media sites should ban users who are inciting violence or promoting hatred and, and sharing misinformation. Uh, how do you solve something like this? I mean, you know, the, politicians, when they get involved in this, of course, their first reaction is, well, we must regulate. Uh, as they do, well, I'm under regulation, and, and uh, you know, because of as, uh, broadcast, broadcast Standards Council, CRTC, and things of this nature, there are boundaries. Uh, and politicians love to set up boundaries, too, and they'd love to be able to, because they've had, uh, let's face it, Zuckerberg and others from social media sites in front of the Congress and, frankly, mm. in front of Parliament, uh, saying, okay, are you guys going to police yourselves or are we going to have to do that? And I, I don't get the sense a lot of people want to see that happen. 
No, I, I don't get a lot of sense. A lot of people want to see that happen either. I, I think, like with anything, there's a um, an extreme, and I, we've certainly hit an extreme right now. And then there's a coming back towards the middle a bit. Uh, I'm somewhat heartened by um, even if you just look at interest in Donald Trump. So leading up to January 6th, the percentage of Republicans who felt that he had won the election and wanted him as uh, their president was in the 70 percentiles. Now we asked uh, Americans this past week, who would you want to run in 2024? And the numbers already dropped down to 58 percent just within a few weeks when with the January 6th insurrection uh, riots happening. So I, I think there's going to be a bit of a shift towards the back towards the middle. And I think um, because the U.S. plays such a large part in this, uh, President Biden, or I guess not President-elect Biden for another hour and a half, mm-hmm. uh, has a has a, a big role in play in, uh, in in creating some sense of calm, and then some well-trusted and actually <laughs> and actually trustworthy and actually honest uh, people need to step up and. Uh, lead media and lead social media to let us know what's going on. The, what the, are, are the we Dan to... Rathers of the world, the Peter Mansbridges of the world. Yeah. We, need, uh, we need someone that we can really uh, listen to uh, you know, and understand like the, the evening news. We used to trust that to such a degree. We need to get back to some way in that level and have that person on social media. Hashtag bring back Peter. I, I, where can I sign up? Uh, but, anyway, but, but, but have we gone too far down that road? Is that Pandora's box that is social media uh, going to dominate whether we like it or not? I mean, it's there now. And, you know, you mentioned about four years ago the Russian bots that used uh, social media. Uh, notwithstanding the fact that the Trump administration uh, ignored the fact that, that homegrown terrorism was a, was a problem and, and clearly still is today, they're using that very same process right now, too, um, because they understand that this is a vehicle that, that people are going to go on to and, and they get sucked into this, whether they like it or not, because it all looks real to them. Well, and it's there, it's there to stay. I mean, if you look, um, Dr. Alex Sevigny at McMaster University mm, and I yep. did studies for the last 12 years on social media usage in Canada. And uh, 12 years ago, about 56% of Canadians were active on social media. It's now in the 90 percentiles. Um, and the only thing that's stopping people is uh, uh, lower income and access. Um, so people are there, regardless of age, regardless of religion, regardless of education. Uh, it's something that's there with us. And I think uh, big business and government and users need to come together to understand how to regulate this. A fascinating discussion as always, Dave. Always a pleasure to have you on here. By the way, if folks want to get some more information about this, they can just uh, log on to the to the Leger uh, marketing polls, uh, and uh, you've got a whole list of them, not just the one that we're talking about now, but some of the past ones too, and it gives you a great perspective on uh, what's going on. Uh, stay well, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon, Dave. Thanks for this today. All right. Thanks, Bill. Take care. Dave Schultz, Executive Vice President of Leger Marketing. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.